you have time at the beginning and then and no money um you it's it's weird when you work like 30 odd hours a week for somebody else because the mindset from being an employee and showing up at a job is different to being in it for yourself and working on these things because you can certainly work for i mean i could certainly work for hours on end like 80 hours a week or something doing stuff that i love but whether the stuff that i'm working on turns into a paycheck is the big difference this is way of the artist with brandon colby cook and evan schulte identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art Welcome, everybody, once again to Way of the Artist podcast. We've got another fantastic guest lined up, just in case people had started to get a little tired of just Brandon and I uh, chatting about the things that we chat about. <laughs> um, so today we've got a fantastic guest joining us from across the pond right now so uh we we've got the the good old time zone difference happening right now but that's the the miracle of technology sometimes uh we've got emma may on the show today and uh she was she was introduced to us by our good friend marco pasqua uh, she is the creative director and founder of immerse studios it's a creative studio working in game development she is a designer and illustrator of the UK award-winning and best-selling card game Quirk, which is now licensed to Gibsons in the UK. She is recognized as a rising star in the toys and games industry in the UK. She has a background in 3D modeling and animation. And if that weren't enough, she's most recently the author of a book, Immerse Yourself, How to Go It Alone and Break the Mold. Emma, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> how um, how are how are things in lockdown over there? Nothing much <laughs> is happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what more could be said about it at this point in time? <laughs> no, it, well, it's one of those things where it's I work alone quite a lot anyway, and then lockdown happened, and it was just like I just don't go to shows; I just stay at home and work. And yeah, every day is the same. So. <laughs> it's not really that exciting, but I do work on some exciting things. So, what do you do yeah. when you're What do you do when you're at home uh, working? What's your What keeps you busy? Sometimes Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that sounds like that could be dangerous. <laughs> it is. Yeah, when you get into like a stream of ten people talking, um, and then everyone keeps replying. Um, this is a hard one because I work on projects, so it depends on what project I'm working on at the time. So this year I brought out three projects, um, one with Gibsons, which was Quirk, um, and one was a children's book. And then obviously I've just worked on uh, Immerse Yourself, the book. Um, so th those sort of projects, when I'm like heavily into a project, I'll be really focused on whatever that project is and working on sort of the production side of it most of the time. and then working on the really boring side of getting that published and finding the market for it and then doing all like the ads and the technical side of things which is not the fun part 
So that's why I kind of add when when you're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> just a stunned look. So yeah. how do you how do you come up with a new idea? Like it sounds like you got a lot of different creative projects going, and you push yourself in many different directions. What inspires you? What gets you like? Or how do you even come up with something to decide I'm going to do this? That's the hard thing because, I mean, my ideas come, they, they've sort of formed from my friends. So years and years ago, so like 2012, when I was hanging out with my friends and we were talking about products that we wanted to buy, um, that kind of sparked product after product after product. So um, the first product I created was called 365 Days of Getting Into Character because my best friend wanted a uh, Tony Robbins um, free, uh, personal power, 365 days of personal power by Tony Robbins. Uh, and thought it was something that you could like listen to every day and get like one little thing and be like, yeah, I'm going to power on with my day. And then what it was, was a two hour seminar on a disc. <laughs> She's right. like, this is not what I wanted. Just like, oh, I'm going to make you the book. I'm going to make 365 days of getting into character where every day I give you something random, funny, positive. It was trying to be more positive than anything else, but it ended up being really silly. And then from that sparked the card game, Cards with Character, because somebody told me the book was too hard to do. And they, they were trying to be a pirate for 20 minutes and they were just, it was driving them insane. So it's like, that sounds like a, a drinking game. So <laughs> we went on to create the drinking game and we tested that and I kickstarted it. So that was in 2013. That, actually both products were in, in 2013. And then that's, that's when I invented Quirk. So about five years later, I picked up my card game um, and showed it to a bunch of people and they were saying, you should bring this out at Christmas. It sounds great. Uh, and then I developed that into Quirk. So the the thing about the drinking game is that it wasn't a two-player game. And they were saying, well, if you could make it into a two-player game, then it's got more salability. So that's sort of what I worked on. And within, was it something like two weeks, I'd repurposed all the artwork, uh, created the new game, and then took it to market. Wow, very cool. So I, I want to like just back this this up a little bit just because like you have such an incredible uh diverse catalog of creative artistic things that you have done where where was your initial focus sort of as a creative as and as an artist you know like where were you always sort of doing all sorts of things or was there a focus that you had at one point like and and when did that begin to diverge it's, it sounds like I work on a lot of things and I do. And it's that's really hard for me to say what my company actually is, which is why I say it's at a creative studio, but at the moment we're working on game design. Um, yeah, I I was really interested in drawing um, and I've been drawing since, I mean, everyone's been drawing since they were young, but I took it seriously at the age of five. Um, and when I took it seriously, when I was five years old, I started getting recognized for my drawing ability in school. And um, I was doing competitions, I was winning competitions and my work was in the paper. So like from a very young age, I was getting that recognition um, and my talent just grew and grew in that area. But the problem that I had with being an artist is I was told you cannot make a living from it. And the only mm. way you can make a living from it is to do a body of work and then die 
and it's like that's not a career option. <laughs> so, uh, At least not one that you you were no, interested not that in. I want to take. No. <laughs> Do a body work and die. <laughs> yeah, uh, I make everyone else rich, rich that lays me, but not yeah. me. Um, but yeah. So I was thinking about it a lot when I was in, in my teens, and we were doing like the career stuff at school. And I was like, what can I do that encapsulates my artwork, but also there's like a wage packet behind it. And that was um, 3D modeling animation or animation at the time. Um, Cause I didn't really, I knew about like clay modeling um, and, you know, artists using clay to create the free mod 3D models. And I was really interested in that. And I sort of started changing my um, pathway at that point where say so like in year, uh, year 11, which is our last year in school, um, in art, everyone would do like this massive A1 picture and they'd all paint it and literally just have copy after copy of this was the art exam. And I decided like I could have gotten an A in art because I, was, I just was a straight A student in art. Um, and I decided that I was going to do play modeling uh, because that's the career path I wanted to take. And I got a B instead. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where I started to, to change. Um, and then I knew, you know, at the age of 15, 16, that I wanted to be in 3D modeling and animation. And that going to, it's kind of annoying because college, I had two years of college to go before I got to university. And I just was like, there's there's nothing I can do in, in these two years that would get me closer to where I need to be. I just need to go to university so I can study the software. Um, so I kind of had two years of art and I literally, I did computer um, computer programming and music tech and three art subjects or two art subjects. And then in my second year, I, I ended up dropping two subjects and taking on four art subjects, which is a lot of uh, sort of homework. <laughs> yeah. If you have like portfolio work that you have to do. Um, and they, they still class me as a full-time student, even though I dropped some classes. Um, but yeah, so I spent a lot of time doing sort of artwork there and then moving on to university where I got that finally got my 3D degree. Um, but then since then, I haven't really used it. <laughs> I have on, on some small projects, but um, yeah, I've got, I've got that background behind me. And this is the reason why I'm going to video games now, because I've still got those talents. But um yeah, my my focus is on sort of the artwork, character design, drawing. Um, it's all really like that's still there, but I'm also running a company. And how do I produce value to my customers? So, so what's the thing that I can produce now that's going to be the most valuable? Um, and for me, right now in lockdown, that was writing a book on my journey where I've you know produced ten thousand packs of cards and sold them become a bestseller and license that on and also won awards for it so um anyone who's starting out in the board game industry that's interested in how do you create something which is such a hobby product and then actually get the success with that and get it into the high street um that's something that's very difficult to do so mm -hmm. can i take the journey of the last two to three years or four years that i've done and then combine that in the book and then give that to the people that could benefit from it the most. So that's kind of like, that's why I've done sort of those sort of projects rather than completely in my element of doing the, the art, which is where I more favor, favor, I can't say the word, 
favorably would be <laughs> yeah if i could if we just work on art all the time but right. i've worked with so many people i worked in the tech industry for a bit and my boss at the time said to me that i couldn't work on cool things um and that you know if you if you're always constantly working on sort of the development side of things you never make any money so i have to work on development for a short period of time and then go into the other elements which end up taking a lot of my time uh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, it sounds like you, so your art and the creative side, the, all that development stuff, that's where you get the fulfillment. That's where the real artistry yeah. exists for you. And then these other things like your business and the book or the model in which you put that out, that's like the vehicle. And yeah. it kind of seems like to, um, I mean, kind of what you're sharing is that you need to have a vehicle with your art if you want to make money in your lifetime. <laughs> Yeah, or your day to day. Someone I can't remember because I had a mentor at one point, and he said that I have a really weird brain because I'm able to <laughs> focus on the art and the technology at the same time, um, and you're using two different parts of your brain to do that. Um, but it's it's become a necessity of if I want to create something that is going to make me a living, then I have to work on the bits that I'm don't really like working on in order to for that thing to make me a living. But that that side takes a lot longer and and a lot more grip before you actually get that recognition um on the other side of that you have to create again going back to creating a volume of work and continuously creating lots of small pieces of work that some are making it some are not making it until you find that thing it's kind of like throwing the mud at the wall and hoping something sticks um right but i'm i think what i've done has been more concise so there's on the one hand people say come up with loads and loads of ideas put them out there or on my side, which I've been, this is how I've been like told to work is work on one thing it, until it gets there. And so I've got this sort of belief that no matter what you're working on, you can iterate on the process of that until it gets to or become something that will fit that market or you're designing something that you're interested in and it merges into the market that you're working towards. Um, so if you want to work on something completely creative, you can start with all your own ideas, but then you have to be willing to go out there and put it in front of someone who could possibly buy it um, and let them tear it apart until it becomes something that is still your idea, but has all these new features and benefits to the person that's actually gonna buy it. And then it sort of merges into something that will sell. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Um, well, Evan, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I mean, there's a few things that uh, I mean, I really want to get into. I mean, for, first, maybe just like quickly, was doing like doing a game, you know, like a card game, something like you. You're the first guest we've ever had who's who's done something like that. You know, was that really? ever something you had thought of of doing before, or was that something that just kind of just sort of stumbled into it? <laughs> it's not something that i thought I, I would have done um i actually there's a lot of stuff that comes back to me working in the tech industry so i i worked for a company where i was i started as a production technician um and i was on minimum wage and doing um the same job every day building computers and then i randomly or not randomly i was very not not planned but I had a job made for me and I became a product designer. Then I became a product architect and I designed a product that made the millions, um, at least by what I can tell from what I scoped 
when I started the project and by the estimate of what they've sold, um, they would have made millions on the product. Um, so um, <laughs> I've gone off track, but there was a reason. <laughs> <laughs> did that, did that, the fact that you helped design this thing and it helped this company make a lot of money, did that help you like kind of think, well, hey, maybe I should Oh yeah, so you got me back on track. So yeah. I, because I had taken that journey and I started des de designing products for them, um, when I left the company, I was thinking about what I could do. And I used to like do, I've, I've done so many self-help books and, and things like sort of writing down your goals and, and where you want to go. So I've written down, and I don't know when I'd done this. I, don't, I, I had done it when I was actually employed and I had written down all the projects I wanted to work on in my spare time. Um, and it had the book, the 365 day book, it had the card game, um, and it had like other project ideas I had. I literally wrote next to them whether they were dead ends or if I could actually work on them and, and create something out of them. Um, so there was half a plan there and I kind of put that on the back burner. And then when I actually left the tech industry, I found this, like I started working on the game and then later I found this list and the, the list literally had no, 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 card game, yes. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, that was maybe a year before I had started working on the card game. So maybe possibly in my subconscious, I was thinking this is something I could possibly work on again. Um, but only because it's it was a product that had some marketability to it, not because it was a project I really wanted to work on. Um, and then the second thing was because I was working in tech industry um, and I was creating these products, I was learning the process of designing through talking to customers to doing all the testing with it and then eventually to sales. But I left the company before we started selling that product. And I really wanted to learn the whole cycle. So design it, you know, if you're develop, design and develop it, go and test it in the market, find a market for it and then see if I can, because I knew all the background stuff from how they worked. So could I do that on my own and actually prove to myself that I can do this? And so it was sort of my own personal mission to see what I could do with a with an idea, whether that was a card game or not. It it would it would have been something, and I would have probably done whatever I could have done to get those volumes and and get that success. You're like an entrepreneurial artist. You, yeah. you don't just, uh, you know, like, yeah, you know what, this is a big thing. And I, I talk about this a lot with, with people I work with and coach is like, there's technicians and there's artists, you know, and technicians tend to work for other people to do their tasks. You know, when you were programming computers or figuring out whatever they needed, that's like a technician job. But for you to go off on your own and create your own thing and learn those cycles and learn how to like that takes entrepreneurial skill and mindset and will. Um, what's interesting to me is how did you, and you're very obviously very educated and you went through the school system, which mostly teaches people how to be in industrial positions. How did you break out of that mold? You obviously wrote a book, <laughs> take it out of the mold. So let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like I, cause I picked that apart in my own journey through personal development. Um, and it comes back to that whole thing where my path was to follow the grain like everybody else. And, you know, in the, that art exam to get a big A1 piece of paper and do what I'm really good at and draw something and get an A. Um, but I didn't see any point in that if I couldn't develop a skill. So I moved into 
clay work and it's one thing that really gets me is that um throughout my teens i was very very shy uh, to the point i wouldn't talk to anybody and i literally and i wrote this in my book that i um had to get if if i wanted to talk to someone i would like sort of nudge my mom and say could you just ask them something <laughs> because i don't want to ask them but if you ask them because i think it's a good idea but i just want you to ask them um <laughs> so um yeah at that point in my life i wasn't outspoken uh, I kind of kept to myself a lot um and I was I had like this clay project that I was doing but then I also um we've got a museum in the UK called the Tate Modern I don't know if you know it um but one of my art projects was to replicate one of their sort of stages in the the Tate Modern um and I had to get some plywood and go to the the um I can't even remember what the department's called, but I go to the woodshop department or whatever it's called um, and get the that teacher to cut up the bits that I needed and, and screw it all together. And it was like, that was a, a big task for me to ask someone to do a job for another project I was working on at that age in school and also asking a, a teacher to do that as well. Um, and then I, everybody was silent in the art exam and I'm just there stood over stuff going... <laughs> and it's supposed to be dead silent and I'm just yeah and I, I'm like don't look at me just say no I just want to work on this project um but yeah I, I started getting into really like tactile sort of projects at that point um and I think just just doing that sort of pushed me away from it but there, I've also got this thing about belonging and not feeling like I belong anywhere um, and maybe that was something to do with school and, and the popular kids and I wasn't popular at all and I got bullied a lot. So I never ever felt like I, I fitted in anywhere. Um, and my whole thing is like, I don't know, I get this, I get this feeling in my chest and in, in my stomach that when I'm surrounded by people going in the same direction, I want to get out. I want to go in a different direction. Um, and I, it's hard at the moment because there's uh, a couple of projects that I've worked on or I'm like I'm not just a game designer and as you can tell from the stuff that I've worked on but um I've I work on projects that you know I flow towards them or I, I'm not sticking to just being a, a board game designer or a card game designer which is what everybody sort of expected from me is to go right I've made one card game now I'm going to make this and then I'm going to make this I'm going to make this and it's all going to be being board games but I'm really interested in a lot of things and I know the direction I want to take myself in. And now I'm being a bit more quiet about what my next moves are because I'm starting to notice that if I say I'm going to do X, then someone else says, oh, I'm going to do X as well. And it's like, like you know, there's, there's ideas out there that people can have and I'm all for people building ideas and, and going in on their own path. But when I'm suddenly doing something and it's, taking off or it's getting a lot of um popularity around it and then someone else is starting to say oh maybe i should do that as well because emma's doing it i i find it like a little bit disingenuine because i'd rather that person go this is what i'm i want to do and what i'm great at and go ahead and do that and be popular doing what they're doing not look at what i'm doing and then go well it seems to work for emma because then i feel right. like i need to run away <laughs> Yeah, because that's that's a huge feeling. Like I don't know why I get it, but I just, you know, if I see someone going that way, I want to go this way, and it, it's just something I want to do. Um, so I guess hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's that's super interesting thing that you're 
that you're bringing up because you know like so many people say it's like if you're doing something you just like tell the world that this is what you're doing you know but sometimes that's not always the case you know like for everybody is is different sometimes it's good to have things that are just for you it's good to have that sort of element of of mystery something that's just kind of for you and especially if you know because you know this side of yourself that it's like well if other people are doing it like knowing that that means like yeah if i tell other people and then this happens it's going to it's going to distract you and it's going to take away from your you know ability to really throw yourself into something which i find really fascinating it's like it's like a really good boundary to have for yourself i i it's a new thing for me because i mean with the with the um, community I'm in, it, it's nice to tell them what you're working on because then they become interested in what your next thing's going to be. And I'm, I am talking about we are des- we are designing a board game. I've got a friend of mine that really likes Quirk and um, wants to create a board game version of it. And we're now working towards a board game version of it. But I've got a bigger plan for my company that I want to go in that direction with. Um, and that's kind of like, uh, people know about it, but I'm not really talking openly about it at the moment mm-hmm. um so yeah and it's just to stop the copycats um and and that is just because i'm starting to feel like i'm putting something out at the moment and then i'm seeing other people say oh i've just done this and it's similar to you and it's like can you just you know if you're going to do something that's similar to me just be honest about it and and talk to me about it because then i know it's not a direct copy of what i'm doing um but like it's like somebody knows that they're copying me and doesn't want me to find out that they're copying me um but yeah it just causes a weird weird sort of relationship between us um and yeah (laughs) yeah i think you can kind of see that but um yeah i i I kind of don't understand it because i'm just sort of on my own path following my own thing I think it's good for an artist to be tight-lipped about some things. I, I, I do. I, I think it's. I think you're, you're paying attention. You're seeing what's out there in the world, and, you know, the world is not always people. Yeah, you know, just my opinion. There's a lot of people that are very selfish, and they're thinking about themselves, and they haven't built a lot of empathy or compassion. And it's just, we live in this world, and we live in a world where people or social media is out there, and people feel like they need to be special. And sometimes they think if they can get an easy way to be special or important and they don't have to do the work, they're going to do it. And, pe- and people have done this throughout history, like in various ways, you know, it's, it's just other forms of stealing. And yeah. so, yeah, I think artists, you know, I think that's some people wonder like why, why artists don't talk about their process all the time or what they're working on or, you know, and it's like, because when you're actually doing something cutting edge and people see that, if, especially if it's not done and, and it's not presentation ready, people can go, oh, that's, they kind of jump on to what you've already cut the edge on. You know what I mean? Like you've already yeah. reached. And I think, yeah, you know, you should, I think what you're doing is really smart. You're, you're looking out there, you're seeing certain behaviors, you're seeing certain things that are out there and you're going, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep this one close to my chest. And I think that's a smart thing. I think as an entrepreneur, as an artist moving forward, I think that's a good quality you've developed. And I think you should trust your instincts. 
I actually think it's a really good thing. Thank you. Yeah. It, it makes me think of a, um, of a, of a quote from Alan Watts where he says like, if you're, if you're going to outwit the devil, don't let him know you're coming. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, also, I want to say, um, it's very inspirational too, you know, for someone who was bullied and, and, you know, couldn't ask people to learn how to ask for help and to learn how to come out and talk about the stuff you're doing and here, be here on this podcast. I mean, that's very inspirational. There's a lot of people out there, um, who, you know, they feel bullied, they feel outsiders and they haven't really tapped into that thing that's inside of them. And I mean, it's great that you're sharing stuff with like a book and you're sharing your process because I mean, I was bullied when I was a kid, people wouldn't know that, but I had to come out of my shell, you know, and here I am talking on a podcast every week, you know, <laughs> and it's just like, th that's the thing, right? Um, sometimes, you know, a person just kind of giving you a little bit of encouragement or sharing their story. So if I could ask you, like, Breaking the Mold, this book you wrote, what, what, what's that all about? What's the deal? So it, it's basically my story of going from having a card game um, that didn't sell very well to selling 10,000 copies of it and then licensing it to Gibson's um, and how I did that all on my own um, from designing it illustrating it, testing, sales, marketing, um, getting a bestseller on, on Amazon. Um, I got to the point where I was making 100 sales a day when it was coming up to Christmas. Um, and I literally just had to sit back and I couldn't do any more. You know, as a one-man one band, I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't pack 100 games a day knowing another 100 would come in the next day. Um, <laughs> so it's just how do you get... Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm one for good problems. I always have good problems. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't get rid of the good problems. Um, but yeah, I, it's understanding how do you just come up with an idea and then have this sort of outrageous success. Um, and so I go into detail about my journey, about people I've met um, and how I sort of developed from, like I literally was made redundant from the tech industry. I've started a life coaching business. Um, I had saved up about eight grand of my money to move out of my parents' house and decided to put that into the life coaching business. And I did really well at helping people. I, I found like I, I was growing quite fast on social media with the stuff that I was helping people with. And I'd always come up with like unique quotes um, because I've done so much personal development myself. And I know that I can recognize triggers in other people and then help them to overcome those problems. But the problem that I had with life coaching is that I, I'm a product-based person um, and helping people in a service-based capacity meant that I felt like I had to give it away for free. Um, and also because, it, because of the nature of it and it's conversational, I didn't feel like it was work. I just sat there talking to someone, would find a trigger, um, most of the time, I, depending on who the person was, they would either uh, cry because it was something that was so revelational to them that they went, oh my God, I've not noticed that before and now I can see it and I can now release it and move on from this. Or it would have been, um, oh my God, that's it. I need to get off the call right now. I need to go and work on this project because I can, I've got the motivation for it now. Like I've not had the motivation for it until this point. And you have to stop talking because I've now got to go and do it. Um, 
so that it worked really really well except when I wasn't making money because I wasn't charging people for for that um and also I didn't want people to become um attached to me in that way that I could always solve their problems because Mm -hmm. my mindset is I can solve product problems and I can also understand behavioral problems and how to overcome them and find solutions for people um and it's sort of one of my top skills is being able to see like random patterns and then connecting dots um for things that don't look like they go together and then can go together um so i yeah i throw from that i kind of i moved straight on to a product-based business um sort of knowing that's where i wanted to be having run out of my money <laughs> and then um started up a company in the uk and it, literally this was the, the weirdest thing about it was that i was it's called a mesh studios because i was going to start a vr company um and i was networking in the vr community and i got a, a university involved and we were going to go for a, an innovate uk innovate uk grant um and i decided that i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> um and I was also building up these projects. This is where I was talking about the card game with people. Um, I had the book that I was showing people, my 365 days to get into character. And I kind of decided that I should pull everything back and work on a card game because working on, you know, getting a hundred thousand pounds straight away and not knowing how to run a business is probably the biggest mistake I could have made. Um, <laughs> and I was running far too fast. So yeah, I came back to something that was, workable um and then developed it that way so um yeah (laughs) to answer your question about what's in the book it is the journey from starting a mesh studios and how i went from having a business that wasn't you know successful i didn't really talk about my, my life coaching as much in the book but it's about having that that one idea and then being able to take it all the way when you see like uh, I think it's 2,000 to 3,000 people enter the board game space every year of people who are interested in games that see a new board game developer springing out of nowhere and they go well if they can do it I can do it and anybody can become a board game designer you can go go away tonight sit down work on some mechanics and then decide I'm going to put some artwork on that and I'm going to take it to Kickstarter Um, and there's so many people that are in the artist mindset um and that is not easy to do it's not easy to make a game but it is the easiest part of the process to sit and work on the bit that's really fun and develop it and test it and you know make it a good game some people don't test it there's a a downfall there but um yeah it some some people think i can make a game someone else has done it take it to kickstarter make 10 grand and then I, i can become board game designer and then they go to Kickstarter and they fail a campaign and then they do another Kickstarter and they might fail that second campaign and then they struggle or they they get success with their campaign and then they don't really sell any more of their copies but they've got a thousand games sitting in the back and they've sold a hundred and now they're working on the next game and it's like well what are you going to do with so much stock now that's sitting behind you um and it's about sort of unpicking how I've just, I sort of just entered the board game market as a newcomer. And within two years, I was um, recognized as a rising star in 100 most influential people working in toys and games in 2019. Um, I didn't get into 2020 because I didn't do anything big that year. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping for 2021. Um, but I don't know because it's this year's been a bit, it's thrown us off a little bit. Um, so 
yeah, it was, it was really strange how quickly I got recognised in the industry. I literally went, and I talk about again in the book, um, one year I go to Toy Fair, London Toy Fair, um, and I'm walking around like a little lost child. I don't, I don't know anyone. I'm not talking to anyone. I'm just like, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. And it's all, there's sort of two sides to the industry. So you've got like the board game community, hobbyist board gamers. And then you've got the toy industry, which is like the big companies and um, sort of, you know, business networking side of things um, and commercialization. Uh, and I had made sort of a name for myself in the board game industry, um, hobbyist side. And then I slowly started to make a name for myself, say slowly, it was in a year, I made a name for myself in the, the toy industry. Um, and literally this first year, I, 2018, I was walking around, nobody knew who I was. I had this little white card game. And then um, a year later, I go to that same fair and I can't walk around without people running at me or like someone, like I go to a, one of the trade um, stands and I see someone talking to somebody else and they can't get away, but they've seen me and they're like sort of dancing a little bit like I need to go see Emma. Um, and as soon as they can, they're running at me and they're telling me that they've got collections of my games. And and I'm just not expecting any of this because the year before I'd walked around and not known anyone. And then the second year I've gone there and I'm just being surrounded by people and having all of these meetings and um and I was walking around with magazines that I was in. I got into about 12 magazines in the toy industry and I was being asked to do um, opinion pieces and I was on podcasts and it just, 20, 2019 was a bit insane. Like the beginning of the year was insane. Um, so yeah, how do you go from like not being anybody, developing your card game or, or product, whatever it is, to within the space of a year or two years, having like, ultimate recognition and you know we'd have um like if, if i showed you pictures of my stands when i did the uk games expo the first year i had a white ro rolling banner with the word quirk on it i had a sales table and one play table and then the second year i had a, a two by four stand with massive walls and um the massive posters on them with all my characters behind we had free play tables um and then the second year we did the same thing but i had a slightly bigger stand so we had more space to walk around um and we would be packed like the, the first year we had like i had 30 cells and then the second year um i only had 60 cells in the second year but the the difference was in the amount of people that packed our stands so the first year it was like i'd be stood there and people would just walk past and then maybe i'd get someone play uh, and then the second year, we would just be swamped for three days, not being able to get a break. Um, and then if I walked anywhere around the hall, someone would call my name. <laughs> and I'd be like looking around and like try and see everyone. Um, and then the third year again, it was, we were completely packed out for three days of show. Um, and I literally had like mums coming up to me going, we were waiting outside in the queue, outside like the whole of the thing. And my son was asking where the quirk stand was, but because, my company name's Immerse Studios. In the booklet, I'm down as Immerse Studios, so they don't recognise it. Mm. I'm like, oh, Quirk's not there. And luckily enough, I, I put ads in their magazines. So it says where Quirk is, and they're like, oh, but we saw the ad. And when we saw the ad, we were so happy. And they literally come running into our stand. And, and we've met with so many people, like, um, like the kids that sit down and play the game will just, they become automatic fans. And, uh, and again, in the book, um, 
when I was pitching my game to Gibsons, I had this little girl. So this little girl was, she came to our stand on the first day with her dad, she had a broken arm. And she did the most amazing impression of a vampire. I haven't actually told you how to play Quirk, but you have to act <laughs> out characters and then try and win them from other players. Um, and as a vampire, we brought out a, I brought out a, a Halloween version of it. And she used her broken arm to go, ha 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 ha. And it was just so sassy and clever and amazing. Um, and she literally came back every single day of the show that she was there. And then the very last day, I was talking to um, the product manager at Gibson's and you know, telling them about my game, about licensing it to them. And I was like, yeah, kids love this game. And all of a sudden, this girl runs onto my stand and she's like, I love Quirk so much and I've had such a great weekend and I, I'm going home now, but I wanted to hug you goodbye. So she hugs me, then hugs my friend who was helping me and then she runs off and I'm like, back to my meeting, like, yeah, so kids love this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing sells better than that. Yeah. So yeah, it, that's kind of like the craze of what's happened. Um, yeah. and I've talked a lot at you for that sort of story but that's what's in the book like how how do you go from nothing to like almost like a celebrity in in that sort of i don't know sphere of things and my friends my friends and my family say it's really weird because they they're surrounded with me all the time like you know i'm at home i'm just on a computer or i'm you know making food or whatever or playing with a dog and i'm a normal person but you come to come with me to a show and i'm a completely different person and people you know want my autograph and stuff so it's like how how do you like it's, it's just a weird weird thing of like i'm only famous in some capacities like being at a show in the board game industry compared to being at home or going to a networking event like no one really cares <laughs> who i am <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 we um um oh why can't i remember his name right now um uh, just a, a wonderful author who we've had on the show a few times. Uh, Owen? Um, Owen, Owen, yeah. Owen, Owen yeah. Um, he, he's the same. He's a very kind of like quiet, unassuming, you know, writer of, of fiction. And, you know, most people would pass him on the street and they just, they, they wouldn't know anything about him. But then he goes on these, you know, these book tours when he puts something out and it's just like, you know, he's got all these people showing up and it's just, and, and it's just this weird, crazy whirlwind of, of celebrity. And then he comes home and, you know, everything's quiet, go and walk the dog. And <laughs> there's something interesting in that actually. It's like, um, cause your art obviously is making an impact right it's affecting people's lives and there is a lot i think a lot of times artists want to well people who are creative sometimes they want their art to like fulfill some personal need like they want to be famous but that's like a reality that um we don't always realize it's like you don't you're not necessarily famous everywhere like that you know and in some ways until you're like major major superstar famous there's probably a lot of time so then like it's almost like two lives you know you're like at your shows and people know who you are and then you're in your normal life and i don't know you might even feel like you go back to that kid who couldn't talk to anybody you know what yeah. I mean? yeah it is really weird like it depends who i'm i'm around and i do sometimes still feel like that um and it i think it throws me off when people are like because they have that fandom around quirk and like meeting me and everything it it's weird when someone's coming up to me and then they're stuttering when they meet me and i'm like i'm just a normal person <laughs> just having, yeah. like, i have a conversation with anyone now but um it's just it's a weird 
it's weird when you have to sort of start putting those boundaries in as well. So when we did the UK Games Expo 2019, we were so packed, we, we didn't get a break till I think it was four in the afternoon. Um, at least that's when it was started to quiet down a bit. Um, but there was, it was not just people playing the game, packing our stand out. And I, it was only me and one other person, but I'd also have people come up to me and ask me questions about how, how do you become successful in the board game industry? Um, you know, I had interviews, I had my suppliers come into me and I was just completely surrounded by people. Um, and we, <laughs> we, I, I kind of got to get to that point where, and you kind of understand it now why, why some celebrities are like, they don't talk to their fans or whatever. They're just, they're just trying to live their life. I and mean, I, I only get this when I'm at shows and it's like my capacity to demo games and do all of these requests at the same time is very, very limited. And it's not like I want to be friends with everyone and talk to everyone and give them all advice and stuff. But at some point I'm going to have to say, no, I don't have the time to do that. And then kind of be a bit, um, not, not rude, but like it might seem rude that I'm, cutting you off to go and talk to somebody else and that has happened and I felt so bad that someone's went oh yeah I've heard of you and all this sort of stuff and I'm like I can't even fathom who you are and what conversation I'm having right now because 10 other people have just said the same thing to me and everything's a blur now um mm -hmm. so it, it's a hard it's hard to manage at shows but then you know I step away and I come to my normal life and this is why well, what have you done in lockdown <laughs> nothing really because <laughs> you know my my life is all about shows and and going to see people and seeing the joy that my game creates that's great well i mean thanks for sharing that it's, <laughs> you know it's i think it's it's in it's good for people to see like a little bit of what celebrity actually looks like you know and i think i think actually I'm not really having, a celebrity though <laughs> uh, celebrity in your own in your own in a bubble in your, own, in your bubble yeah in your bubble well hey it's still a bubble and you're still a celebrity in it so <laughs> but like if you're a celebrity all the time like if you're so famous that every single person knows your name i mean the amount of boundaries that you'd have to draw and like it would be and the amount of weirdos that are out there <laughs> yeah i mean it's just a reality there's a lot of people who it's not something i want no. i like i just like to I, I always say like i just want to do the art be behind the computer just have the fun, you know, and be, have fun with my friends and stuff like that. And just have that sort of quiet life. But at the same time, I want to create products and get recognition for the products. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like being like a, like a celebrity tourist or something, you know, like you get to yeah. like do the tour of being a celebrity, you know, every now and then. And it's like, all right. And then kind of just have a sense of, of, of normalcy and, and just get to, to be with yourself to, to a certain extent. Um, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit just because there's, as this conversation has been going on from the outset, there's this sort of very interesting thing that, that I see going on with, with you and your life and your career, which is this, uh, this fascinating play between creativity and artistry and utility. Um, yeah. and that that's a fascinating relationship to me because you know in some ways the utility can often foster creativity but at the same time utility can can also um prevent a creative person and, and an artist from pursuing certain things so i i 
I, I guess I want to ask you kind of a question that's maybe a couple of parts here, but uh, have you found that, you know, in pursuit of creating things that are of value and of use, which I think is so important in, in creativity and artistry, is, is, is there's a connection. It's not just for you, but it's, it's for someone, it's for something, it's for a purpose. Um, but at the same time, are you still also just creating things that, that are just for yourself, that are just kind of like for, for the act of creating something and not for some ultimate purpose? Um, I don't think I've done that in a long time, to be fair. Um, I, but in a way, I'm kind of doing both. So um, I'm just thinking about this question a little bit longer. Uh, I'm doing both because ultimately the things that I am producing come from a place of I wanted to do like, like my ex-boss said to me, you can't do it just because it's cool. But my head goes, I want to do it because for some reason I'm really interested in doing it and it is mm -hmm. cool to me and I do want to do that um and like I've created this new character for Quirk called Mischief Monster and he's really cool to me and I want to put a little bit of personality into him um he appears in a new um new Quirk game but I want to really develop him into something completely brand new there is no need nobody needs mischief monster in their life but can i create a reason for somebody to have mischief monster in their life i probably can in some sort of capacity in, in my creative way so i'm always sort of speaking to my creativity in can i do a drawing of this or can i uh, just show you it's up here uh this is mischief monster so yeah i i spent uh for people that are listening this is a plush toy of a monster that i created um this took me 27 hours to make, um, but it's, I just have to show you, it's based on this character here. Yeah, yeah, I, I, saw, I saw that when I was going through your, your website, and we'll link the audience to, to go and check it out, and they can see Mischief Monster see for themselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, nobody needs this, but, you know, will people want it? Kids absolutely love it. They see the Mischief Monster, and go, I really like that character. And then you talk to people in the entertainment industry and they say, but what is the need for it? Um, what What is it about the character that makes it loved or, or what's its purpose in sort of a storyline? So there's like so much stuff that you have to put into it. Again, it's another learning curve of how do you make something completely creative into something that is needed or wanted or, you know, for that entertainment purpose? Because it's a, one of those questions I find very hard to, to answer because when you go into like the entertainment industry and you're or when you're in the entertainment industry and you're going to business development classes and having mentors and they're saying okay but what is what is the problem that you're solving with this and i go i don't know it's just fun isn't it <laughs> like yeah. this is fun um but that's what entertainment is entertainment is to alleviate boredom so you yeah. have to be able to create something for a market and then say that this is going to be for this this range of ages and then it's going to fulfill the need of entertaining a child when the parent has got something else to do but it's going to be a safe play toy for for the child so i guess that that's one way of getting around that question but yeah it's it's both <laughs> yeah yeah i guess i mean you can you know you can find you could you could have an interest in something and then you could find like what does this solve because if you're having an interest in it 
then it's probably solving something for you. And then arguably that might be solving something for someone else. I mean, you know, there's a lot of movies or TV shows that are like that, where it's like someone created something because that group of people never had a voice. And then they created a show like The Office, you know, or something like that. And it's like that gave people in that world um, a life. And there's a lot of people that work in offices and there's a lot of people that don't, but then they connect it to that world. And, you know, what's the point and what's it serve? I think sometimes that can take us away from our art because sometimes I think it's just, um, I don't know if you experience it this way, but like a, like a calling or a sense inside of us, like I need to go down this road. I need to see what this is. And then, you know, someone like, uh, you know, someone invents clerks, you know, and talks about their childhood and how they grew up. You know what I mean? It's just like these things can sometimes exist, not because we understand them, but because they're coming from us and we need to just venture into that. I mean, it sounds like there's a little bit of that happening for you as much as you're product minded and thinking about how to serve an industry. It seems like a lot of your creativity still comes from, well, I want the mischief monster. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely it does. Um, and that I find that very difficult because I, there's a section of my book where I talk about separating yourself from the idea. Um, because I mean, I mean, a lot of the stuff I talk about in the book is stuff that I've gone through. So sometimes I, I don't know if I sound condescending or, um, you know, saying, don't do it, do it, don't do it this way, do it this way. But it's just because I've experienced it. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm kind of like going, you know, with the, with the idea of you're not your idea is that you can get so intertwined with something that you're creating that as soon as you get any sort of negative feedback about it, you sort of crumble because you can't, you can't differentiate yourself and your idea and what is constructive criticism and what is a personal attack. Um, and some, you know, at some point someone might just be being nasty to you just because they can, or they might be giving you some really good feedback. Um, and you're not being able to see that because you're taking it as a personal attack. So, um, or they, I've, or they might be, so let me cut you off. They might be giving you bullshit feedback. Yes. It's not good. And you're still taking it personally and it's not good feedback and you should shrug it off, but you're taking it, you're shrugging it off for the wrong reason. Yeah. So I, I kind of talk about, um, how to take criticism or how to, how to take any kind of feedback, because I mean, I've just recently filed an application for something and I only got 50%, you know, 56% successful in it. And I'm super excited about it because they're telling me where all my weaknesses are and I get to go, okay, well, I can take all of those weaknesses now and I can actually present myself in a better way. So, so I've got another project coming up where I, I need actually needed that information. I didn't know I needed that information, but now I'm like, oh, if I have to do this next thing, then I'm, I'm going to have to take that and work on those things. And that's going to get, give me a better presentation next time. Um, and it's like, and all of that stuff, like you say, is it's part of me. What I'm trying to do is, is solve a problem in something that I've been through and then do that within the, the medium that I love, which is creating games. Um, and then, um, yeah, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I usually do that at least once once in a, in a recording <laughs> yeah i do it Although so I, much but um no i i um 
I think that you bring up such a, a terrific point for people who are, you know, in any creative field where, you know, in some ways you've got to put yourself out there like that. That is a huge, huge challenge. Um, you know, I don't know if you ha have you ever read the book, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? I don't think so. No. Oh, it's it's one of our favorites around here. And and what you're touching on, which is amazing because you've like discovered this on your own, you know, through your own experience. But, you know, he talks about uh, a lot of what you're saying is like he, he has this thing of like going pro, like going professional means like stop. I, you know, like don't be so identified with the work that you do because you you won't survive for one but also you you lose your ability to um to learn and uh there's another sort of facet to this that now is escaping my mind so there we go it uh, it, it gets contagious um <laughs> <laughs> but no What's it's uh, it's oh. oh yeah like he he kind of looks at it in the sense of you know because he for in his own process you know he he likes to think of of working with muses, you know, that the muses show up. So, you know, if something that he does isn't very, that he does isn't very good or isn't very well received or is criticized, he's just like, well, that's fine because, you know, I'm not solely responsible <laughs> for what happened. That was, that was the muses who showed up for me that day. So, <laughs> you know, he doesn't really think about it too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that that quote too. I mean, if you live by their applause, you die by their criticism, or something. Something that's basically a sentiment. But it's like you know, I think all this stuff. It's important not to take it too personally. Um, and yeah, I think there are people out there that, you know, I think jealousy and envy and stuff is a real thing, and we don't always talk about that on the show, but it is a real thing. And I think anytime that you start to succeed, and especially when you start getting what other people want but they can't get. Um, you're going to find more of that happen. And I think that's one of the things that you have to, you have to navigate, but I think it's important, you know, if you go back to yourself when you're bullied, like I was bullied, right? What I started to realize was their bullies, these bullies weren't talking about me as much as I thought they were. And once I started realizing that I stopped fearing people's criticisms of me, I stopped fearing what they said about me or, or how they treated me. And a lot of the time in my mind, and sometimes directly with people, I would just think, well, what's going on for you that you would say that, that you would do that, you know? And I think that's an important thing to run through your cycle. Um, you know, figure out your source, you know, who's, who's giving you the criticism, you know, is this a valid source that's giving you the criticism? Are they somebody you respect and appreciate and comes from yeah. good integrity? Or are they somebody who's just, you know, they just think they know everything? You know, and um, and I think we all have to kind of make our decision about that. And I think that's an important part for actually getting your work out there, which you've obviously done. I think there's something you said in there that I, I there's a really important factor of it, which is um, when you say that other people see your success and they may become jealous of it. Um, there's actually this illusion of success of, you know, other people wanting what you have. Um, and that comes from like, People look at me in the board game industry and probably say, I want what, what Emma's done, which, you know, you can go and do that and go and have it. But there's other people like who, who I've met who, um, who have a different type of success that I have. And I'm like, I would, you know, if I had what you had, 
I'd be like so happy with it. But if they had what I had, they'd be so happy with it. So it's like neither of us are satisfied with this, the level of success that we've reached. And we're still seeking or searching for that sort of key moment that's going to give us that satisfaction. And to be honest, it's not out there. There's no level of success that you can grab that. You're just seeing what is out there and then determining that what you've got is not good enough. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I think that that it's good to unveil that and say, I think Jim Carrey actually said that if everyone could be rich and famous, then no one would want to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere someone's dreaming of a life that looks a lot like yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we are uh, we are hitting that uh, one hour mark, which, of course, is no, you know, that can't that doesn't necessarily <laughs> stop us. But, you know, just to just to do a quick little check in. Um, Brandon and I are having a drink. Uh, got some water. And you got some water. You're doing you're doing the healthy thing. Mm. <laughs> um but uh brandon quickly do you want to uh yeah uh yeah so mine is um this is from daggerad and it's called a brune unfiltered uh belgian abbey style double brewed with mission figs and it's uh (laughs) here's a bottle for anyone who's on video um it's um it's good it's tasty super dark and it's super flavorful um, I like it, but it's a slow drinker. That's all I got to say. It's one of those beers where you just like, you kind of like sip at it. And yeah, I feel like, I feel like you can enjoy this beer for like, like probably a couple hours of just enjoying it. It's, it's one of those, but it's nice. It's just, uh, you know, you're going to have one and then you're probably going to move on, but it was yeah. good while you, while you were there. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm drinking a vanilla stout from Red Racer who uh, normally I, I like their stuff. This one is a, uh, this, this one's just not really working for me. <laughs> <laughs> just not working for me. Like it's better than the, it's better than the first few sips were, you know, but uh, that it's no, not, not this time, <laughs> not this time. Um, so anyhow, after that little diversion, uh, we've got some uh, we've got some questions for you, Emma. If that's okay. all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brandon, do you want to kick this one off, or do you want me to go? Uh, you start it. All right. Emma, what is the most important book you've ever read? Oh my God! What a question. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just gonna look up. Um, most important. Oh, I don't know. I know. I've got a lot of Holy Grails of books um, and one that I'm actually in the middle of reading which I've been in the middle of reading for maybe a, about two years now is the book Good to Great um, I don't know if you've read it at all I have not but yeah um, I've heard of it I I want to say it's kind of hard to read because of the way it's written because it, it but at the same time it's great um, because it talks a lot about what makes a leader um, or even like a leader of a company. Um, one thing that just sticks out in my mind, probably the last thing I read out of it was the hedgehog concept. And I now I can't remember what the hedgehog con- concept means. <laughs> but it's just full of like great little things about what, like what actually made a company last for years and years and years. Um, and I just find those sort of things very fascinating. Um, and 
I, I want to ch choose another book as well. But the other book that I really like is Blitzscaling. Um, but I, I like to I like to combine books and, and ideas. So there's another book that that I've used uses the two uses the same principles but in different ways. Um, so the other one is the oh, I'm going to get the title wrong. It's kind of like the Millionaire's Pathway or something. That's the wrong title. But um, it's it basically talks about how you go from um, how you step up in a company and Blitzscaling does the same thing and, and, and talks about this sort of stepping method or even a wishy-washy method. And it's, I don't know, what, I'm just so fascinated by it because um, in, in the Millionaire Pathway, whatever it's called, I want to call it the Millionaire's Fascinating, but that's a completely different book. Um, what it, it talks about a spectrum, and I think I like it because it's it talks to the artist side of me of colours, and it talks about it as mu mu musicians, and he talks about how when you're starting a business and you start in red, like you start in a red phase, um, and the red phase is infrared and red, and it's where you're actually you're not making any you're not making any money, um, but you might get drips and drabs of money. And then you move into the orange phase, which is where you're chasing clients all the time. So you'll make money as long as you're constantly marketing yourself and constantly chasing other people. And then it goes into the yellow phase, which is where my business was for quite a long time, which is where you don't need to chase anyone, but people come to you all the time. So you're making money because people will keep coming to you. And that's when you need to then move into green. And I've been trying to move into green for ages, but now I've licensed my game away. So I'm back at red. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in green, um, this is where you're starting to form the basis of a company um, and you're bringing other people in. And he talks about it in a really great way because he says in the first sort of, the first three colors, red, orange, and yellow, you're solo. Um, and he talks about being in yellow as octopus arms um, because you're doing everything. So like me, I was doing all the design work and I was doing all the marketing, the sales. Um, so you're doing everything. But then when you're trying to go to, to green, you're, so he calls you the lead guitarist. So you're there playing the guitar in the front um, and your main center stage. And then you have to go to green, which means you have to move to the back and you have to play the drums and you've got to keep the rhythm while everybody else are the stars of the show um and that's a completely different mindset shift and that's why i did this little ladder thing the step thing or going wishy-washy because both of these concepts both of these books talk about that concept of you starting off in a position where you're like i have to hustle and i have to do it all of this way um and i think that happens up to orange and then yellow where people are coming to you and again i talk about this concept in my book as well because i find it so fascinating but um when you're in yellow, they, you can't be hustling all the time because you're inundated with people. So you have to set a new way of working. And again, when you go to green, you have to switch again. You have to switch your mindset again so that you're not, you know, you're, you're setting your boundaries again, but you're moving back and taking a completely different role again. And there was, I don't know if it was in um, Blitzscaling that talked about the guy from um, Airbnb who, you know, they had the massive success for their company and the guy that was running it was still running it like he was just start, had just started it. Um, mm -hmm. And he was doing loads of different jobs around the office and they were saying to him, you're the CEO, you have to not do those jobs anymore and let everybody else do those jobs and your job role must change. So his yeah. mindset had to change in order for them 
to continue to have that success. Otherwise, it would have just sort of petered out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that concept absolutely fascinating. So I gave you three books instead of one. <laughs> that that's totally fine. That, that's great though, because that like uh, I I had like a some business teachers and they said like you know you're something to that effect where it was like at first like you your business in your business you're gonna have no money but you're gonna have time (laughs) he's like and he's like and once you reach the reach the the place where you have you have money but you have no time that's when you need to start like hiring people to do stuff for you and i thought oh yeah that's like a nice just sort of like a simple like way of seeing like oh okay that's like a nice gauge of of yeah when you need to move to that next step mm-hmm. so i'm glad yeah. you went into why you like those books too i think a, a big part of entrepreneurship and well actually achieving your dreams is letting go of control too because when you're trying to micromanage too much i mean that's that's just you're going to doom yourself because you got to let go you got to start trusting people to do their jobs and fulfill whatever they're supposed to do and it's definitely hard it's definitely hard if you've still got that mindset of you're attached to your idea mm-hmm. and you're pr- trying to put it out there and then other people are working or trying to get other people to work on it i I'm, i would say that i struggle with this concept inside my own company so if i bring anyone into my own, own company i've still yet i'm still yet to learn those those leadership skills in developing my company into a company full of people where I'm very comfortable working on my own. And again, it might be that sort of boundary issue or the sort of belonging issue that is throwing me off of bringing loads of people in. Um, but on the outside of that, I can work with contractors in, in a fantastic way. So I, when my business was doing really well and bringing in lots of money, again, time poor, but money rich, I was, um, I was able to hire in people and it was fantastic because I'd hire in somebody that knew how to do that part of the, the work. And then, then my role became very important or very clear and concise because they would say, Emma, I need X, Y, and Z from you. And I go, okay. And then, you know, two hours later, send that over to them. And I sort of, I had a clear understanding of what I needed to do. And all I needed to do is let them know what I wanted from my company. And then they would do it and then ask me for the bits that I could help them with. And that went really, really well. But yeah, it, it's it, coming back to what you said before about um, you have time at the beginning and then and no money. Um, you it's, it's weird when you work like 30 odd hours a week for somebody else because the mindset from being an employee and showing up at a job is different to being in it for yourself and working on these things because you can certainly work for i mean i could certainly work for hours on end like 80 hours a week or something doing stuff that i love but whether the stuff that i'm working on turns into a paycheck is the big difference to you know when i had a job i mean i had to do a job but more or less if i showed up for a whole month i'd get paid um and you know even if i did the bare minimum i would get paid if i do the bare minimum in my job I don't get anything. So I have to work and I have to not, not just work on just the bits that I get given, but I have to work on the most sensible things that are going to produce money. And then it's like sort of getting your mindset into what are those things and how do I best spend my time and reorganizing your entire life to fit that new model. Yeah. There are only certain, there are only a few metrics that really matter when you run a business and the others are just nice. 
Yeah. It's like really there's three. There's usually three main metrics. And after that, everything else is really just nice. And another thing I wanted to point out was um, someone said to me, uh, they said, you know, 80% um, is good enough when you're hiring people. Because like the, no one's ever going to care about your business the way you care about it. And they're going to make mistakes. And you just kind of make allowance for that. You know, you just kind of plan for it. Instead of being a micromanager, instead, like you could do it 100% for sure. And you'll yeah. do it 100% every time. But you're going to hire someone and they're going to be tired. They're going to, they're going to, things are going to happen, but their 80% stopped you from having to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's worth it. And, um, uh, you know, I think that the thing is, is like, as a leader though, you kind of keep your standards as high as you can, because the leader always has to have the highest standards. Don't lower to their standards and be like, it's not fair. They only have to perform at this level and I got to perform yeah. that. That's a huge mistake that people make too, right? But um, I love how you brought this in. I think this is great because sometimes people are like, I read this book, it was great. <laughs> then we move on. So that was nice. Um, okay, I got another question for you. Okay. Uh, what film made the greatest impact on you? Oh, again, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to say I don't really have any favourites for movies, even though movies are what inspired me. So I'm it's probably going to be the wrong answer, but then there's no right answer here. Um, yeah. I'm going to say Shrek because Shrek is the one, Shrek is the movie that I watched that I went, I can get a job in doing 3D modelling or animation. So yeah, definitely Shrek. Cool. That's great. Shorter answer for that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is a song or an album that takes you somewhere? It's going to be a newer band for me. Um, it's going to be, oh, what are they called? Um, American Authors. Um, and I can't remember what album it is, but they've got an album that's really, really good. And I just love the music in it. Cool. I don't. I don't know them at all, but I'll have to check them. I'll have to check them out. American authors. Yeah, one of the one of their most popular songs is "Best Day of My Life," um, but it's not that one that I'm talking about. Um, well, not that album. That that song's on. Um, yeah, I just I think the the way that he writes his music is really nice. I mean, I write songs as well, so I'm very influenced by music. Cool. All right. Where do you think creativity comes from? Every time you ask a question, do you see like my deer in the headlights look? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh my God. <laughs> um, where does it come from? I'm going to think about it for a little bit. I shouldn't really think about it. I should just say, shouldn't I? And then that's where it will come from. Um, I think creativity comes from a I'm always there like uh, or a fascination or a curiosity that you're not satisfied with until you you really search and find mm. what it is mm. through whatever medium it is that you you create that in it's nice. not what it's not an easy question I like that I like <laughs> no, that it, answer that's really good yeah no, it's not that there's, again, yeah, there's no right or wrong answers. We're just kind of 
we're just I probing just, in. I, we're probing into this stuff and want to know what other yeah, people think about my, it. You know, <laughs> just thinking about it a bit longer. My because that come when I say fascination and curiosity, I'm talking about. I I do a lot of journaling, so I know. And even writing my book, I know that when I'm when I was writing my book or when I journal something, my brain always goes along the same lines, even the same sentences. So when I was reading my book back and I was formatting it and not formatting, but editing it. And I'd be like, oh, I've written about that. I really should write about this. And I start typing in the sentence. And then I should have just read it because I'd already written that sentence in the same exact way. <laughs> so I reckon, like, for creativity, like, we're quite limited as human beings. But our creativity actually comes from, like, an influence. And the curiosity and the fascination is the stuff that we then you know, we want to find out more about that. Like you watch a movie and then you find out about the actors or what the actor's been in or what their relationships have been like because they've captured you in some way and then and that you, you want to find out more about what's happening. Um, so I just kind of feel like that's, you know, creativity comes from the things around us that we surround ourselves with. Because I think I could never come up with anything that I've not seen or heard or had some sort of experience of, even if it was really minor. So it's got to be something that I, I don't know. It just I don't think it can it can come from anywhere. It might do because like you have dreams and stuff and things come through dreams. But yeah, I think it's like if anything did come through because I again subconscious. I think it comes from subconscious. Um, it's an amount of things that have been sort of jigsawed together in your subconscious and then at some point come to the forefront of your brain and you go, that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> i also think that speaks to why when you're like you know if you're in lockdown for instance it's harder to come up with ideas because you're not able to go out and experience other things that could then trigger a connection between something that you've done and that new experience mm -hmm. and that's why when you're like oh maybe in the shower or like on a trip walking you suddenly get an idea mm -hmm. and that you can you can slot it all together I, do, I like creativity. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> we think so, too. <laughs> All right. Your next question. Uh, how or where do you find inspiration? I feel like this is like I just answered that question. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, it's like you've kind of already touched on this, I think, but I'll, I'll still leave do that. Do you actively do anything to go find it? Find inspiration. Um, I guess I, I find a lot of inspiration in other people's content. Um, and not social media content, um, but like reading people's books and really understanding them. Um, I am, I like, I've become fascinated with people who, who are doing things like I've got, a, I've got the creativity book by Pixar. And I think it's absolutely like the inspiration I get from that book. I, I said to my friend, I started reading it and I put it down because I was so excited about it that I couldn't read it. <laughs> so, but one of the things in that book was, it was fascinating when you talked talk earlier about how do you come up with an idea that's so creative and you know it's, it's your artwork but you're trying to put it out there and and the utility of it and things like that and you look at pixar and you know that they came from um a small section of lucas arts that was a pixel based their, their vfx sort of side of the, that were, they were building and that they were testing sort of they built the render man and and they went, okay, well, we're, we're, he had to sell that part of his company. He sold it to Steve Jobs. 
but they went okay a way to make money out of this software is to sell it to car company com car companies that can use that 3d software to render their cars or to do their websites with or whatever it is or their um their production lines um you know because that, that technique technology is used in that area um but they failed massively they failed massively at what should be a solution with the the product they, they were creating but what they really wanted to do was tell amazing stories using this software and that's what they developed but i mean i think it took them losing like 58 million pounds before they went actually let's take a risk on something we really want to do which is tell stories which again is that massive development process but it's something they were passionate about so they went ahead and did it and you know that's a billion dollar company and it was one of the best moves they could ever make and that that is entirely inspiring to me because you know i've got people around me all the time saying we've got all of these skills you could do all of these things which would be really purposeful in you know this genre but i'm not passionate about it i'm passionate about the creativity the art the games you know the things that people say are cool and not you know they make money they make money in in a different way um and it's just understanding how i think the the thing about pixar and, and like that, this is the reason i relate to it so much is because it's them saying well here's the right thing to do but here's the right thing for us to do and i think it's being able to tap into what how you feel as a person and where you think your direction is going and, and staying true to that no matter what anyone else says to you and what what's around you that that is con contradicting you um I, I find that really difficult to do because i have people who are you know no one in my family is an entrepreneur um actually one person is but <laughs> they went an, an entrepreneur as i was growing up um but i've been around people all the time that said go and get a job and earn a wage mm. and then there's me that's made a hundred thousand pound in two years creating a card game and still i can't get through to those people that there's a different way of earning money that's not going to get a paycheck from someone else which is actually really limited um and so my inspiration does come from these people that have you know like i say on my book broken the mold in a different way who have bent the rules who have done something that you know they've been so daring and creative with and it's worked out for them um and it's just having that courage to go out there and do it and one of my favorite sayings is it's literally written on everything on my uh, personal social medias and things is the I don't know if you've seen the movie Cemetery Junction but it was in that um, and they say a quote that is um, throw your heart out in front of you and then run ahead to catch it and mm. that's how I live my life like right, throw your heart out in front of you and run ahead to catch it and I do that all the time with my work mm. nice I filled the gap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mind the gap um, so uh, what would you tell your childhood self Oh, that's gonna make me cry. Um, <laughs> um, I do. I think about the five-year-old me quite a lot, and what what five-year-old me would think of the world, or thought of the world back then, and what I'm doing now. Um, still a hard conversation, but I think maybe that you get to do what you want to do, or maybe stick with something. <laughs> something you love hmm. beautiful all right you've got one more question okay what would your future self tell you right now 
my future self how can i haven't met them yet <laughs> wait a minute wait if i <laughs> i've met them now and now <laughs> um <laughs> how far in the future you didn't specify <laughs> like yeah my tomorrow self <laughs> It could be, I mean, you know, like, I, I, I guess thought for... of it like a 10, 20 year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I was just joking. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So now, now I'm just imagining who I would be in know, X amount of years time. There's a version of me that's really hit, hit where I wanted to go. Um, And I guess I don't know, that person is still me now, so I'm I'm gonna make it if I work hard enough at it. Nice. Fantastic. Those are hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell your your yourself, your future self, if you yeah, what was your question? <laughs> if we were to answer our own questions. Yeah. That's funny, that, that that's actually something I was recently just thinking about. I was like, you know, one day Brandon and I should actually um <laughs> you know answer these questions we ask everybody else these questions because we're like these are great questions in our opinion but we've never actually told people what our what our answers would be to that so um what would you tell yourself today evan oh your future self was talking you know that is a tough question (laughs) (laughs) there's there's i mean i feel like there's a lot of a lot of things um but it would probably be something like trust that the path is going to appear beneath your feet step out just keep on just just keep doing it and it's going to be great it's going to be beautiful Hmm. yeah i think my future self would say something like uh Oh man, so many things are coming to my head that I don't want to say. <laughs> um, no, my my future self, my future self, yeah. my future self would probably say something like, you know, you're designed for this. This is whatever whatever challenges you're facing today, and all this stuff is all it's it's all designed for where you're going. So I like that. It's pretty nice. Embrace this. Like, like you're gonna you're gonna look back at this, and you're gonna see why. And it's all going to make sense. And I, I say that because I think about my younger self now and I'm like, yeah, I think about some of the stuff that I went through and it's like, yeah, like you just embrace this because this is, you're, you're on, you're doing it. You're on that path and it might not look exactly how you think it needs to look, but there's a reason why it is this way right now. So something along those lines. I think we've all sort of said the same sort of thing. Yeah. Are all the answers the same, like sort of similar? No, but they they have, I think they all have through lines. I think that's the thing. Like Evan and I, since we've been doing this podcast, which we did 165 episodes of the B&E podcast, which was just us talking about artistry and industry and finding that balance. And then we started to notice these these, um, kind of consistencies. And we thought, you know, this is more a philosophy so we we call it now way of the artist and we find those now but we just embrace that more we embrace that side of it more because we kind of got to the point where we decided like you know talking about the balance between artistry and industry is kind of like it's kind of a conversation that didn't need we didn't need to do it anymore it was kind of like 
done and we realize it's evolved into something more and it's not just about being an artist it's like a path you know you walk a life you 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 have a life and you can bring creativity to it it doesn't have to be you know what you learned in school like just like for you for example like you know i've talked about this a lot on the podcast like my my issue with school is that it indoctrinates you into earning a wage and being a technician and thinking that's all that you are and i think that's fascinating that that idea yeah and i think way of the artist for me personally is like well what if you left all that indoctrination what if you just abandoned that where would your heart take you where would you go and you might find that it doesn't align with that and as much as I think the education is awesome and I think it's necessary and I think it serves us, I think at a certain point you have to, you have to get off that ship and, and, and have your own boat, you know, and sail the seas, so to speak <laughs> in my analogy metaphor, Evan, yeah. <laughs> that I love. <laughs> yeah. So Emma, do you have, um, before we, we close things off, do you have, uh, kind of any, any, final comments or thoughts or, or things that you feel you really you really kind of want everybody to hear well i've spoken a lot to people <laughs> um well yep it can i plug yeah, yeah of course yeah absolutely yeah so the only thing i've obviously got out right now is my book commercial self um which i think we've covered quite a lot of the content from that to be fair um and you know, it really goes into, I, I think at the end of this book, I talk a lot about business and, and techniques and how, how to like sort of plan stuff and how to work alone and, and really like get rid of that fluff that is taking away your time from the things that really are, are really important and move you forward. Um, and, you know, the people that have read my book so far, have said that the end of the book is you know full of the practical advice but there's the the sort of beginning of, of it is all about that sort of emotional journey and making those decisions from an emotional point um and me saying you know i'm i've given you conversations that i've had with people throughout developing a business from not knowing where, where to start to you know having sold ten thousand games on my own to getting a license and deal um and what I had to go through <coughs> mentally, sorry, my dog's barking, um, uh, what I had to go through mentally and emotionally when I made those decisions. And what I kind of picked out from it is it's really hard to take advice from certain mentors because whilst they have a position of maybe mentoring you, so I've been on like um, courses and things where you get given a mentor and these mentors are people that work for an organization, it's very hard for them to, to give you those emotional lessons or points because they can say you need to you know and they look at the analytics of it all and go you need to do this 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 and this but what what you can't do is do all of those things because otherwise business would be really easy um what you have to do is go right i need to go and do this but i've got fears of x y and z and i now need to overcome them in order to get over that anxiety and actually do that thing um, that is so easy for somebody else. Um, mm. So whilst it, so I, I don't want to call it fluff, but it, it can come across as fluff because it's talking about an emotional side of things. But when you're in it, you need someone that's also been in it to say, I, I'm trying to do this thing, but I, for some reason I can't seem to do it. And then I kind of, it's kind of my life coach inside coming out and saying, you, it, how do you overcome that block? 
Um, can, I, can I ask you and, a question? Yeah. How did how how do you talk about how you overcame those blocks in this book? Um, trying to think of the content now. Um, yes, in a way, I'm sometimes like I don't want to be so personal with the stuff that I'm going through, and because you know you don't need to hear all of that stuff. But I do talk about you know some of these things that we think about ourselves, like am I good enough? Like I was always told that my ideas were not worth listening to, and if I was telling a story somebody would stop me and they would go you can't tell a story i can tell it better and then i learned that my ideas weren't good i wasn't good enough and i can't tell stories and that really blocked me for ages to you know i i go up on stage now and talk to 100 people in an audience and give a presentation and i've got to overcome those feelings of but i'm told my ideas aren't any good and i'm no good and uh, I need to, I can't tell a story. So how is anyone in this audience going to be engaged by me? So I've got to do a lot of work on myself to go, actually, I am good enough. My stories are worth listening to because people keep asking me about them and they keep asking me about my ideas and my ideas sell. So they don't mean anything, but I've still got that emotional feeling that sometimes holds me back because I've been asked to go and do something and it scares the life out of me. And I'm going, that's the old thoughts that they don't, that they're not worth anything anymore. The new thoughts are that I can do all of those things and I can step out there and do it. And I just have to break that barrier and go and do it. And that's sort of that comfort zone. So yeah, I kind of do talk about some of those. I, I talk about elements of quirk. I do it in the way of talking about quirk and how I felt when I was doing quirk or what emotional decision I was going through at that point. Um, because some of the massive things I've done um, I've went up against billion dollar companies for trademark issues and I've won um, as a solo uh, business owner. So having to develop a product and get it to market whilst you're also in a trademark opposition with a billion dollar company is like you're, you're trying to do tick all the boxes off that, that a business analysis is saying you need to do X, Y, and Z. And then you're also fearing all of these emails come in and how much money you're going to lose, whether you're going to lose hundreds of thousands of pounds and put yourself in debt because you're trying to win an IP battle, but still making sure that that product becomes successful. So yeah, it, I do kind of in a way, <laughs> but some, some of it I have to be careful with. Yeah. It sounds incredible. Cause yeah, it, no, it's, that it's does personal. sound amazing. It sounds absolutely amazing. And I can, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying personally uh as well just like with yeah some of the specifics of of your own sort of path and journey and things you had to confront it's just like oh yeah yeah that 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 I, rings a lot thing. of bells I think for a me lot of people that will look at like if they look at me now if they meet me now and they see my energy and they see you know me doing all these fantastic things they can probably put me in a category of oh she's really popular and she's uh, like really confident but really, you read my book and then, and you know, that person probably thinks I'm, they're not. They read my book and see where I've come from and, and how I've grown. And a lot of people say that, like, nobody would have thought that I'd be the person to go up on stage and talk to people. Like, if you met me, you know, eight, ten years ago. Um, but, you know, we're all going through that. And even if you think of, like, maybe one of the most popular celebrities right now who's, you know, on fire in their career... And you probably don't realize how much anxiety they have. And it's just mm -hmm. nice knowing that someone that has been successful is battling the same things as you 
and they still had success. So you have the, the opportunity to do that as well. And I think that's that's really what I try and get across in my book is that, you know, the reason I'm telling this story, and like I, I'm not even the biggest creator in the board game industry. There's people who have cracked it bigger than I have done, but I feel like there is a story to tell. And, and those people aren't telling that story. They're not telling you how they're doing it. You've got to try and get into certain circles to have those conversations. Whereas I'm sort of putting, and that's the hard thing, putting it all out on the table and saying, here's exactly how I did it. And even not completely in depth, but like in depth to a point of, this is what I was doing throughout this year, the second year, the third year, and now to this year. Now, you know, then giving you a wealth of information of, here's these things that you might think about emotionally. And here's what you think about um, if you're going to go for like the intellectual property, or if you're going to start a company, here's all the things you're going to think and maybe go through emotionally before you can make some of those decisions. So yeah, I hope that really helps people. Mm -hmm. I think it will. I mean, I, I think it will tremendously because yeah, uh, um, uh, some, uh, one of the guys who I read a lot of his material, um, his name's Jeffrey Gittimer. He has this quote, he says, it's, it's something like, um, um, you already know what to do. The problem is you're not doing it. And I think that your book actually confronts why you're not doing it. And I can personally relate to that, you know, on so many levels because yeah, it's, it's so often, I know exactly what I need to do, but the emotional feeling about doing it, the, thoughts that I have that all that stuff, that stuff needs to be worked on and needs to be confronted often before you can do the thing. And I think a lot of people struggle with that in so many different areas. So if they can gain any insight on solving that for themselves and see your journey, I think it's going to be fantastic for them. Awesome. Yeah. I, I kind of, I, I always feel, feel before I do anything massive, I always feel it in my chest tightening up scared and then I, I don't close my eyes obviously but <laughs> close my eyes and then jump and just do it anyway like there's got to be a moment where you go I'm just going to do it I'm just going to do it and I'm just going to work it out as I go along and I think that's got me through a lot of some of the stuff that I've done in the last four years because I've just I've taken opportunities that my guts went don't do it you're too scared to do it like talk, you know the talks in front of hundreds of people I don't want to do I never want to do them but the other side of me is like, but if you do do it, it's an opportunity to grow. <laughs> so I just spend the whole time being scared and then I just go and do it. Well, what, just once again for everybody before we before we close things off here, just tell everybody, you know, uh, the name of your book and where they can find out more about you and uh, and we'll and we'll say goodbye. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so my book's called Immerse Yourself, How to Go it Alone and Break the Mold. And you can find it on Amazon on as many um, regions as Amazon has, because uh, it it's available everywhere. Um, and you can find my website at www.emersestudios.com. That's E-M-M-E-R-S-E -M -M -E -E, studios. Um, yeah. And you find me on Twitter at Immerse Studios as well, if you want to talk, come chat to me there. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Emma. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the show. If you got something out of this, if you feel it improved your life or your journey in any way, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode. You can also support us on Patreon, where we have tons of great bonuses. 
You are the ones that make the show possible and help us to thrive. Thank you for joining us.